Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mace, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get into the backstory of artists, producers, and anybody within the music industry. Right now on the phone with me, I have T-Rob from the R&B group, Cole Premier. T-Rob, welcome to the podcast, sir. What a do, man. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it, Jay Mace. And, uh, hey, man, you know, it's always an honor to be asked to speak about something that you know, the world didn't fully get to see and get to experience. So being able to have platforms like this to kind of talk about it, it's therapeutic, and it's also a source of information that's provided to those that didn't know about it, you know, and we'll now get a chance to hear about it because you guys like yourself. So I appreciate it to my brother. Yeah, no problem, because definitely we have a lot of fans on the New Jack Swing Forever website via Facebook group that have been fans of Cole Premier and wanted to know everything that's going on with you guys. So let's go ahead and let's get it started. Where did your love of music come from growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio? I think, you know, like a lot of musicians out of Cincinnati, I think it was just, it was a city, the city all in general. You know, because that city has produced a lot of talent that a lot of people don't know about, you know, like the Isley Brothers, you know, Twist and Shout. You know, that record was made in Cincinnati. They actually grew up in, a, in an area called Lincoln Heights, and that's kind of out. And uh, you, you, you have to be Cincinnati to understand, but this right in the, in the heart of Cincinnati. You know, also you got like Boosie Collins and the Rubber Band, which, you know, those guys basically changed the whole, you know, they put a whole new style in the music business, which is today known as funk. Uh, when they started, you weren't able to even say funk on the radio, you know, what my, you know, what I've been told. And, you know, not only, you know, has Boosie Collins been a big uh, influence on our city, but these guys have been a big influence on Ivy Brothers around the world. And, and, and coincidentally, my father happens to be the drummer of uh, Boosie's rubber band and been there from the beginning. So a lot of rich history, you know, and then you can go down all the way to, like, L.A. reading Babyface and the deal. Shout out to my boy Carlos Green, D, Babyface L.A. I know Sticks is kind of a newbie, but girl, you know, all those guys from Cincinnati, man, were, like, huge influences on the sound of Cincinnati which kind of resonated into, like, our generation, which was coming up in the 90s, you know. That's when, you know, we kind of was popping up, um, like, the late 80s going into the 90s when hip-hop was starting to really blossom into different categories, man. Fashion was a big thing, man. It was just swagged out all the time, and it was just a bunch of fun and energy. It was like it was nothing but entertainment 24-7. So to be in the to answer your question, was the very first start of me being hit by the music book, I would say. Right, and then for those of us music heads that know, Cincinnati was also the home to Sid Nathan's King Records, and that record label was known for putting out James Brown, Try Me, so you had to actually really be steeped in music to understand not only the legacy of Cincinnati, but also of Ohio in general, because we look at Dayton. Most of the 70s funk bands came out of there. You had Lakeside, Slave, Ohio Players, Roger yeah. and Zap, Jimmy oh, Wilder yeah. from Heat Wave. So what was it about Dayton that led all those funk groups to come out of there and change the world? Well, I think just like Cincinnati, we call, you know, our state, OH10, Ohio Players, you know. Ohio in general is, to, to me, a mecca for music because, you know, you can go to Dayton and then you can jump down to Cleveland. I mean, look at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All this, this you, you go into speaking to Cleveland. You got to think about the legendary OJ, you know what I mean? And you go into, like, places like Dayton. You got to think about the Roger Troutmans and 
Exactly. Those legendary groups and the Ohio players. And I think Lakeside might have been from out our way. I don't know yet, but I believe Lakeside. But we got, my father was just talking about another guy. I think his name was uh, something Tolbert. And he had one of them, oh, kind of put you in the frame of Little Richard. I mean, those type of styles. This guy was from Cincinnati, right in the neighborhood called the uh, Avondale. So between Jay and Cincinnati, we were so close in terms of location, it was almost like, I think they used to compete. So like my father and those guys, they would have their bands, and it would be bands out of Dayton. And you know, it would actually be bands in Indianapolis. That was actually where Babyface was from. But we were all in such a, you know, like that tri-state area situation where we've merged together. And I think that that's what made it so strong because you had, within Ohio itself, you had various cities that had came with their own different flavor. That's kind of how that started up for Cincinnati I think, and Dayton, creating that funk sound, man. Yeah, because thinking about the Battle of the Bands, I think that's primarily a Midwest thing because listening to a lot of interviews online with various members of the Revolution, that a lot of them did Battle of the Bands up in Minnesota. But when you just think about that period of the 70s and 80s, that whole Midwest had R&B and pop on lock with everything that was coming out of Ohio, everything that was coming out of Minneapolis, and then also, too, Michigan with Choke Ridge, Dream Boy, and Ready for the World out of Flint. And speaking of Ready for the World, shout out to Melvin Rally. When we got signed to Warner Brothers, Melvin was one of the producers that they had signed on us. We did like six joints on our album with Melvin. They flew us down to Detroit. And we ended up, you know, being down there like three weeks with Melvin. We get called, actually, while we were recording. We were down there recording. We went twice. The first time we were recording, it was about three weeks into it. And I mean, man, we were so green. I mean, we were just so happy, man. If I could just tap my finger on somebody's head and let them just feel what it feels like, man, when you make it, these accomplishments, it's unbelievable. But uh, we were down there to put, to put the icing on the cake, man. We were in the midst of recording, and uh, when we, our manager called us, uh, he was at the hotel, and he called, he said, hey, when y'all get done, man, um, come back here, come to my room, I got some stuff to talk to y'all about. And he was like, cool, cool. Got done, went to the hotel room, he said, look, man, the record label just sent the song to y'all. It's called That Body. They want y'all to perform it. I mean, they want y'all for the soundtrack of a new kid and play movie called Class Act. And we was like, oh, why are we jumping up, man? We like, yeah, yeah, that's that. Oh, you know, we Oh, we own. You know, we like, we can ready record a song and it's going to be on the soundtrack. We was like, so man, boom. so we just got to learn a song, got recorded, and then we good. He said, yeah, he said, but not only that, they know how y'all perform, so they actually want y'all to be a feature performer in the movie. Oh, man, you talking about, I mean, that first one we could have been done with, and we was on top of the world just with that offer. But to then get offered to appear in the movie as a principal and a feature, you know, I mean, that was major, man, because we was in that like, background, we were featured in that movie and on the soundtrack and our music was used in the score of the movie. So, like, that was such a huge thing, man, for us that, um, you know, it was one of those things, like I said, that, you know, that OHT flavor, man, and put that music together. We was always about, like you said, the battle of the bands, and you're right. It was battling of anything entertainment in Cincinnati. If you was a dancer, you battling dancing. You battling rapping. You battling DJ. You battling acting. You battling whatever it is entertainment, man, you had battles. So I think that that's what sharpened our knives, man, and it proves the dupe for us. Right, and uh, go to YouTube.com, people, to catch my interviews that I did with Melvin Riley and D&KO from The Deal. Now, with co Premier, did you guys start off as solo acts performing in school talent shows, or did you always know that you wanted to form a group and everybody else just came along? Well, you know, strangely, like for me, I always, like you were saying about the band thing, that was the biggest thing, you know, coming 
and not in my area. It was like, you know, the Eddie's because you had those bands that you named, you know, Cameo. You had all these bands, man, and they was the hot stuff. You know, Prince of the Revolution, Jesse Johnson, The Time. Yeah, and all the women loved them. They damn near looked like women, but the women loved them. So that's what you wanted to be if you wanted to do music. You're like, well, I want to be a band. I want to wear, you know, leather. I want to wear leather pants. I want to have my hair whipped up, you know, press, you know, like Easter Sunday. And uh, I know me, I always had that group in my mind. Coming up, I started with a group. I think I started pretty much like at home with my brothers and fooling around my young siblings because they was younger and you know how you experience with you using your siblings. So that's kind of how I did. And then eventually, I went up to uh, with a guy named Tez, man. And me and that brother, was, he was in the fifth grade. I was in the sixth, both living in the projects. He was walking to school one day and I uh, just having fun, laughing, I was tapping on his cousin, you know, he was balling out, and then we just started talking about music, and he started telling me, like, how he got a bass guitar, and I never knew nobody else loved music like me, because I didn't talk about it a lot, but I loved it, and once we connected on that level, we just became, like, two peas in a pot, man, all throughout our elementary and high school, even when his mom, and they moved to the suburbs, somehow me and him still stayed cool, when we was too young, to catch the bus, we remained cool, and I became, like, a teenager, my mother moved, not through far into the suburbs by them. So that really made it. We got our band together called Bridge. We rocked out a couple of talent shows. We were terrible, really, because we didn't really know what we were doing. I mean, we had natural talent, but we didn't have the equipment set up like we needed to really be effective as a little band. I mean, so with that being said, right about that time, a group came out with a song called Candy Girl, and that group was called New Edition. And when I saw that, me being from the hood, like they are, it reminded me so much of my partners down in my area, because me and Fez vibed on the music, but I lived a whole different street life down in my hood. So when I saw a new edition, that just the life clicked out. Because the deal for me was it said, oh, man, so you mean to tell me I ain't got to, like, separate the two to have both so I can be like a street little ghetto kid and still do music? Because before you would be like, if you're going to do music, you got to look like Prince and all them. Nobody looks like Prince that's in the hood and... You know, on the corners are, are you know, pressure around the pockets causing mischief. So when New Edition came out, you saw guys like Bobby and Ricky and Ronnie and all them guys looking like they just like your partners, man. It was like, ah, oh, man, you could just be late. And from that point on, I was hit by the bug. And I went to my boy Ted and I said, man, look, they're doing it wrong. We got to change this band thing. We need to do singing dance. And what we should do is we should do talent shows and we should lip sync New Edition songs. But the key to our thing is going to be we got to have that tight choreography like them. I mean, people have got to think that we are them. And we became so close to the position staff, that very thing happened. We used to get bum rushed at the talent shows. We would get pulled out of school to go do shows at other schools because it's spreading. And that's kind of how the group concept thing started. So once we did that, there was another group out there that was a dance group, and they was called Cold Crush. They had this city on their shoulders, man. I mean, like, everybody loves Cold Crush. They was like superstars in our city. But they were dancers, and we all kind of knew each other vaguely a little bit. Some of our affiliates knew each other. So there was a guy named Daniel who was a rapper. He had had a record out for the local. He was doing pretty good in the city. Then he had our guy DJ Fresh, who is right now, he's iconic in Cincinnati. But DJ Fresh was a DJ, and they had Chris and Shane as the dancers, and uh, DJ as a dancer. And then they had me and Ted. We was his background singers. So one day after doing dates, because we was opening up for Cool Mo D, LL Cool J, we was just traveling all around. Big Macron, uh, everywhere. We just 
doing shows that was like in a tri-state area. While we were out on the road, man, I just had some comment came to my head and said, man, if just imagine if we join forces. I was telling Christian Shane that if y'all come with us and become singers and we do the kind of dancing that y'all do, which was straight up B-boy, Jabberwocky style, just amazing. And I said, if we do that and y'all do what we do, Imagine how powerful we can be. So imagine the Jabberwocky, and then imagine when they're doing all that choreography, unique formations, all that stuff, and then they end up in the line in front of five mics, busting tight harmony, having three to four, I mean, lead singers deep in the group, self-contained with writing, self-contained with vocal producing and coaching, self-contained for choreography, like we was a machine. And that's what a lot of people didn't get to see because we later, and we'll probably talk about this down the line, we face the politics of the business. And it's a grimy thing, bro. It's definitely dirty from a lot of people that I've interviewed over the years. The industry will chew you up, spit you out, which for me is still amazing to see how New Edition is still standing from four decades later. Are you kidding me, boy? Man, I mean, beyond, beyond. They've been in a whole other class, man. They have created a machine that will never stop. They are the temptations now. Now, once they come back, which they're working on that, once they come back, it's going to be huge, man. Amazing. And they're going to be able to do this for another 20, 30 years. And even if members leave the group, they'll be able to put other members in like they did Johnny because the brand is the brand. You know, it won't be the same and all those guys, but the Temptations did it. They're doing it to this day. So, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Right. And then also the same thing, too, can also be said about new kids to see how they're still standing some four decades later and how they took what New Edition did went out with it and influenced everybody from Bashy Boys, NSYNC, fellow Cincinnati group, 98 Degrees, and every pop male group that came after them. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah, but when I was looking at the clip of you guys dancing and performing that body on class, that immediately in my mind, I was like, these guys are just like troops. Yeah, we got compared to them a lot. In fact, in our documentary that's coming up here sometime, I think it's late summer, early fall, John John from Troop made an appearance in our documentary, speaking on, you know, his, us, you know, we didn't think together, and at the time, we really didn't know each other. And they were the only thing that was closest to what we were doing, because they would add a lot of hip-hop to theirs. I think that what made us different from Troop, the fact that we had two hardcore, straight-up b-boys. Like, Troop wasn't b-boys. They just happened to be able to dance. But with us, our thing was this, man. Our rehearsals were so freaking hard, bro, that, I mean, you would have thought we was boxers. One time we were in L.A., my brother came out to visit, my younger brother. I myself this. I had seen it about, it's been like two months or something. I was like, come on out, man, spend a week with me. I was trying to convince him to stay out there and, and whatnot. And he came out and I said, you come to training with us one morning. So we went to L.A. Valley College to train. When we got done, my brother was forced for that. When we got done, he was like, man, I never knew. He said, now I see why y'all was to machine like that. He said, y'all work out damn near tougher, harder than athletes. Like, I was just singers, and y'all doing this is amazing. So the reason I say it is because when we did our shows, listen, man, we weren't allowed to look at each other. When we were doing choreography, that was one thing we rehearsed on that until we mastered that. You would never see, if you go back and look at our clips, you'll never see us looking down, looking at one another while we're doing the routine to make sure we intact. That'll never happen because the way we rehearsed was crucial. So every time we rehearsed, we rehearsed like we was actually at the concert. It was barely one or two walkthroughs, you know, in our rehearsal. And then we would rehearse them. If we had a 30-minute show, we would rehearse the show 
show. Individual. The whole show. Four blasts, one guy at a time. And you don't just sit there and sing the song. You're doing the routine. You're doing formations. You're moving over to here. You're going into place. You're doing all the jumps, the splits. You're doing everything that we normally do. But you by yourself. And the reason we did that is because we didn't want none of us reliant on looking at the next person to make sure we're doing the right routine. Because you can see it from the crowd. So we wanted it to be like, man, this is amazing. How can they? So when you watch our shows, you see us doing all those flips and choreography and then getting back to the mic and singing. We were never lip syncing. It was always live vocals. You just didn't hear us breathing because we trained hard. So when we took a break out of rehearsal, after training hard, break, let's take 15, guys. After we take our 15, before we come back to rehearsal, we go run a mouth. When we come back from that mouth, we pray. And then we get done praying, we rehearse hard again. When we get done with rehearsal at the end of the night, we go run a mouth. We come back, we pray, and then we kick it. Same thing we do when we start. When we get there, we pray, we run them out, we come back, we pray, we start rehearsal. And it was like that every time. And we would have weekend rehearsals where we couldn't go home, couldn't use the phone, we could watch TV only when we were done with rehearsal, couldn't have no girls visit us or nothing. So we were really like machines. And it came across on stage, and we kind of got caught in the political ring. Nobody wanted to tour with us because we would have had to open up. No one wanted to go on after us. But that's when you know you're good, though, when don't nobody want to come on after that because hearing the way that your rehearsals were it sounded like if it isn't love times 10 hey listen man you'll see pictures of like, I'll send you pictures with us and Mike Bivens and I. Mike Bivens and Brooke Payne actually wanted to sign us at one point. We had nine major record labels wanting to sign us. It was so bad that they was calling us cell rooms. At the time, we didn't decide who we wanted to manage us. So I was getting the call. And I had to take our phones, unplug it out of the wall. Now, here's a group that's been wanting to get it. First of all, it took us a, once we got together, it took us a year to get a deal. And that's pretty good because we set out to, like, we're going to have something that they can't deny. That's all. We, it was real simple. Give them something they can't deny deny that they haven't seen and they haven't seen no one else do it before and when we did that club the way we got discovered in LA we performed at a club called Club Paradise and it was like the primary or premier club at, of LA at the time like Studio 54 and it was in the 90s like the early 90s and BBD was popping Bobby Brown was popping you know it was right in that time where I, like I said the payment was all in the air and we happened to get booked to do a show we had no deal bro we got booked at Janet Jackson after party for Rhythm Nation tour in L.A. Forum. So she did the forum. After her, her concert, she was officially at Paradise and every industry you could think of was there. And the artists. I'm from Prince, Hammer, Bobby, Involved, everybody, bro. And listen, we performed. And you can go back and check the history and ask around. We performed at that club that night. We did such a thing to their minds that when we got off the stage, this had never been done before. We were unsigned. First of all, they never had unsigned acts perform at their club. We were Bobby Brown had just did a concert there like two weeks before that. So that's how big that club was. It was like popping out there. Man, we did that show, and afterwards, it was so bad that they had to separate us from the celebrities. They had to get us security because we didn't have security. Why would you? This is an unsigned act. They didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know this was going to happen. We were getting bum-rushed by security. We were getting grabbed by Embold and different acts, different actresses that was there, Jada Pinkett. And they had to form a line to take rush us upstairs to the VIP. Like, people were coming to get at us like hammer. We went over to Prince's table. We talked to Prince for a quick, brief moment. 
I mean, Prince wasn't acting like a fan or nothing, but he did say something to us that I'll never forget that let me know that he knew what time it was. So, yeah, man, we were popping. I like, but we were actually, to be honest, we were a threat. And that's the sad part, man. Sometimes you can be so good that if someone else doesn't have you, but they have something that's first to you, but they know what you could do to their product could make them lose a lot of money, or they'll come together and start paying off people. Hey, can you make sure this record don't stop right now? Hey, can you make sure this happens to this group? Hey, it's a real wicked situation. Right, and um, when you guys did Big Break, which was hosted by Natalie Cole, did you guys audition for that, or were you guys referred to by management for that show? No, actually, it was kind of like an audition, but here's the thing. We did a show, and it was in L.A., and it was a club. They had told us beforehand, they said, you know, there's going to be some people from a new TV show that Natalie Cole's doing, you know, that's going to be there at the house, so the ones that do good, they can make it on the show. So we like, cool. So when we went and did the show, somehow, that particular night, man, just something we had ever done. We got arrogant because the week before, we had just got to L.A. We were there maybe like two weeks and ready to stay out there to try to pursue getting a record that late. And then when we got there, like the first weekend, somebody had us a show book at Long Beach College. We did Long Beach College and just ripped their heads off. Like, they was in a frenzy. It was just crazy. When we got done with that, we kind of got arrogant. And when we rehearsed, this was the first time we did this. We walked for our show. We didn't really go through full blast. We just did the L.A. thing. We got, we stuffed the society. That was our brick. You know, that was brick city. That was our Philadelphia. That was, you know, it was our Philly. And we worked hard there. When we got to L.A., we got locked after we rocked uh, Long Beach. And so when we did that show that they said the Natalie Cole people were going to be at, he didn't really think we were going to do good at all. We didn't feel like we were going to get picked at all because we were sliding all over the place. You know, so we were hit bad nose. It was crazy. Like, what the hell is happening out of all of a sudden? The shows that we didn't get all, you know, several times. Now it's like it's just Jesus. And it was these three guys that performed that night. They was kind of doing a Motown song. Uh, it was a white guy, a Hispanic, and a black guy. And they ripped Right. They was getting it in. And uh they won that show that night. So we just went on about our business. We had to get a reality check. We was like, we gonna come back, we can ready, you know, next show we do, we rip the heads off. So long story short, once after we did that show and um Janice team a month later, we been thinking about the big break. We just thought that was dead and over, we lost that opportunity. And uh DJ Fresh was somewhere and he was talking to somebody that was affiliated with Big Break. And he said, uh he told the dude that he was from Cincinnati. Fresh did, he's from Cincinnati. Dude, like, you from Cincinnati? He's like, man, please tell me you know these five member group. They can sing, they dance. And then as soon as he said that first, like, he's talking about open mirror. He's like, yes, yes, can you get in touch with them? You know, I, he said, we, nobody had contact for them, and we, we've been looking for them. So that's how they found us, through Fresh. And when they got in touch with Fresh, they just had, they brought us up to Indianapolis, Cincinnati, to do, like, sort of an audition. They kind of knew they wanted us, but they wanted to show the executives and other people what they saw in LA. And we did that, and next thing you know, we on the show. Man, so once you guys did the show, and then the performance at Paradise, you said that labels were knocking at your door left and right wanted to sign you guys now if you had your pick of all the labels that were in the bidding war what was the one label that you felt would have been a good fit for the group well at the time my thing was I was wanting to go to MCA because I saw what they did to Bobby I saw what they did to New Edition I saw what they did to Guy you know they were making hits man they was doing it the right way you know but what made us go with Warner Brothers was that the exec from MCA which was Earth Azov had got a gig over at Warner Brothers as the new CEO and they gave him like 500 million to run his new label under Warner Brothers and so that sounded like a good fit think about it the same he got a blew up new edition guy Bobby and all of them now he got his own label through Warner Brothers and he got all his money he's done it before we like 
position. It only makes sense. I mean, you know what I mean? They, they legend. So this is a good pick. But if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have done Warner Brothers. I would have definitely did something like, because we had Sony at us. We had Electric. We had RCA. We had MCA. We had Mike Bivens, Big Ten. I said Motown. We had our Island Records. Man, we had a lot of them, brother. There wasn't no independent that you didn't hear, you hadn't heard about. These were major labels where, like Capitol Records, one of them. Because you got to think, all of these people were at the show. So imagine all of those labels not even knowing that it was going to be a show that night. They was coming to, you know, this is Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation tour. It was the first kickoff show in L.A. Her after party is going to be bananas. And then all of a sudden, you got this group coming out of nowhere performing and puts the place in a coma, a frenzy coma. And you got all these record execs finding out because, you know, the first thing they're going to say, I never heard, who are, these, who are these guys? Why are we performing? They, who? I mean, we getting our legs grabbed at by celebrities, man. So you guys think the label's saying that, and they're like, oh, my God. These guys ain't signed. And, yeah, man, it, it was a sad thing because you only can pick one, and the others ain't really happy about it. So now they're in that mentality. It's like, forget them. They turned up down. I hope nothing happens. But, you know, sadly to say. Because, again, you know, we were going to mess up something funny because we got turned down by some. You'll be surprised to know what artists turned us down to go out on the road. We were offered, like, by their managers or the part of the agencies. Like, man, y'all need to go out with these guys or go out with these people. And they're like, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh. We ain't going back them. That's right. Yeah. Right. And it kind of brings to mind, once again, this goes back to Prince and the time. When the time was opening on Prince's tour, they were kicking his butt night after night on stage. And Prince was like, uh-oh, these guys are too good. Yeah. Yeah. Prince, listen, are y'all about to use profanity on your podcast? Go right ahead. So when we did that show, bro, remember looking over because we came, went up to the VIP. And then you had people following us up there. Now, I've never seen celebrities be stopped. Like, yeah, I remember one of our security guys, he was like a little midget. He was getting it in with him. Like, he was pushing people back. A.C. Strickland, rest in peace, baby. Man, we had celebrities trying to follow us up to the VIP. But Prince saw us, we saw him over there. We was actually intimidated. I'm like, oh, man, look, that little Prince over there. That little Prince. Should I go say something to him? Or, you know, then my manager was like, yeah, man, y'all go over there and say something. Man, he saw y'all perform. I'm like, but he was just at his own table. He wasn't saying nothing. It wasn't like he looked excited or something. So I'm like, man, I don't want to go over there and get dogged. Yeah, he's like, man, go over there. Y'all go. So we walked over there slowly. And as we were approaching, I went to him. I remember saying, how you doing, friends? Just wanted to tell you I'm a huge fan. We all are huge fans. We love your music. And you just, man, it's just amazing to see you right now. Like, in person, you had no idea. You know, we have uh, Purple Rain, man. That's like, in Prince right there? We from Boys from Cincinnati in the hood? We looking at this dude. He at, he see us perform, man. We walked over to him when we said that. And he told, he brought his finger. He uh, notioned his finger for us to come in close because the music was playing. And the first thing he said to us, he looked up, he said, man, y'all some bad motherfuckers. And that's all he said, man. Like, I never forget that, dog. That came from Prince. I'm like, oh, I think we oh To get that cosign from Prince saying, yo, y'all bad. Yeah, some bad yeah. motherfuckers. That's exactly what came up. Hammer walked up to his like, yo, where the fuck y'all from? We like Cincinnati. He was like, oh my god. He was like, yo, we gotta get, we got who who managing y'all? Where y'all y'all manager? We like over there. That was man, like the first thing that was coming out of everybody's mouth when they would meet us. Who managing y'all? Who y'all saying? I mean, y'all name alone is tough. Cole Premier. With a name That's like it. Cole Premier, y'all y'all gotta come with it. That's why we did that. You know, it was like the famous book. 
save the chat. So we had to do that. Because we thought about, you know, the other original members, the dancers, was Cold Crush. That was Chris and Shane, and they were cold. That was our word. It's like, cold. Like, thing, if you good, it's cold, man. The girl is really cold. The car nice cold. Everything was cold. So... We were talking, and I just remember we tried all kind of names. Give me five, five plus. We tried everything with five, because we bought the five men. And then it just dawned. I was just talking. I was like, okay. It just dawned on me. It was like, okay, our group is going to be cold, and it's going to be a big premiere to people when they see it. So it was like, like, cold premiere came out. And ever since then, it made sense. I was happy that I think it was a blessing that we stumbled up on that type of a concept because it really did fit the description of what we were doing as a group. Right, and you mentioned that you guys got on to perform that body on Class Act. The soundtrack, it was put out on Giant. Go to YouTube, check out my interview that I did with Cassandra Mills and Joy Marshall from Jay. That soundtrack... Very, very heavy 90s hip-hop R&B. That song, I Want to Love You by Jay. Full-term love by Moni Love. Much many others. So what was it like, you guys, doing that dance number in the high school gym with Kevin Play on set, Karen Parsons on set, and Paulie Shore? Like I said, all of this experience was just mind-bottling. Like, it was so heavy, man. When you got that euphoria like that in your life, at the time you were achieving something that you wanted to achieve, but you realistically had it in your mind, like, it's a possibility this ain't going to happen. But when it happens, it's like it's surreal, but it's nothing that you imagine because you're seeing people that you've been seeing. Like, at the time when we walked on the set, because we had to be there, I remember, 5.30 in the morning. So we're on the set, and we pull in, and they take us to our trailer, and they start our wardrobe and stuff, right? They start sending people to our trailers to prep us, just doing a lot of stuff like that. And then you got we here knock at your door on your trailer, boom, boom, boom. You come to it, open it up, it's kid in place. What's up, man? We happy y'all in the movie, man. You know, we know about y'all because our bulls were strong in the city. It's like, man, it's an honor to have y'all in this. And we know y'all getting ready. Y'all going to turn it out. We know y'all going to do something unique. We just happy, blah, 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 blah. And it was just happening like that. All these different people. Polly Shore irked me. I didn't really like him initially because I didn't know who he was, really. And when we were in between takes, because he was on stage with us in part of the scene that we were in, because he was on stage. But he kept doing these little silly buddy. And I guess that was his thing on MTV. We didn't really look at stuff other than what was related to us and how was rehearsing. So I didn't know him like that. And I just kept saying, who in the hell is this white dude? that keep acting goofy like he on drugs or something. We need to, you know, focus, and he keeps trying to make people laugh. I didn't know he was a comedian, and everybody kept saying, buddy. I'm like, why are these people saying that corny-ass buddy? You know, but later I found out who he was, and, and it all made sense then, and we all became cool, man. I actually, you know, Karen Parson, oh, man, that was a treat. Because I had been, you know, every young you know, teenage, you know, kid, black kid, male, and I'm sure female too, <laughs> but, you know, was kind of had a little crush on Karen. Hillary was the bomb. She was a geeky, you know, nerd or whatever, but she was the bomb. And uh, I got a chance to, uh, you know, me and her had our little moment where, you know, I mean, it, it almost went into a big rumor thing about us seeing each other, you know, on a serious note. And because we started hanging out a lot, and, you know, I just leave it at, <laughs> at that. Right. Right. And then also, I forgot to mention, too, Dougie Doug was also in the movie, too, along with oh, yeah. Thomas, Thomas McHale yeah. Ford, who played Tommy on Martin. Yeah, rest in peace, Tommy. Man, Tommy, man, that brother, man, he, he had a big heart, man. I, 
I love working with him because one thing about him, he reminds you of that uncle who had them grandma tendencies in him, like that church-going grandma. Like when he sit up there and talk, he had that powerful delivery man, his voice. And he would sit up and talk to us about, like, what we need to get prepared for. And afraid to something that's dangerous out here. And we a stadium type of group. Like the instincts and all of them, I mean, they were cool, man. And I ain't got nothing negative to say. I'm all about the group, man. I know how to fuck with it. It takes a lot to do that. Though. They knew, like, a lot of these groups knew, like, even when true. Because when John John, me and him bumped heads again, like, we, you know, connected. It had been a while. He didn't even know. I was like, man, John. I said, guess what? Remember when y'all did big breaks? I was like, remember that group called Ramirez? He's like, yeah. I was like, I was in the group. Man, he got lost his breath, man. He was like, man, do you know for years we talked about that? For years, like, if them guys get out, there's going to be some problems out here. Because that's what it was, bro. I mean, you got to think, man. When you go back and look at the clips from Big Break, and you actually see the dynamics of what we were doing. And in our fifth, there's a, one of our managers was talking about, kind of described how we were as a performer. And he put it in such a good way that I never thought about it like that. He said, man, these guys was the only guys that I ever seen doing dance routines plus stunts at the same time. But their stunts that they did in their routines, their stunts was to the rhythm of the beat. So when you're doing flips, we did our flips to the rhythm. I mean, we do splits in the air. We throw one another up in the air. I might take Marcus, one of the members, and Chris might take Shane or James might take Shane. And then we'd do something where we grab them and turn around and throw them. I throw Marcus to James, Christo, Shane, to me, and I catch him, and we go down to the twist and come up in a straight line together to the mic and hit harmony. Like, nobody was wow. doing that. Yeah, nobody was doing stuff like that. And that's why it was scary for people. Unfortunately, man, I mean, we got a chance to do some shows, and we got a chance, like, we were, we were known how to do Yeah, which I find crazy, because you guys had all this momentum. The movie's blowing up soundtrack is blowing up, but then it just kind of stopped. Right. And you think that was because all the labels and all those labels that had male groups signed was like, y'all don't want no smoke with these guys. It was a combination of things, man. I'm going to tell you what it was. Because here's how it was put, and when you see this documentary, you'll get a better understanding of it. It was put by someone that said, listen, man, these guys from Cold Premier were doing things performance-wise that groups wasn't supposed to be doing. And for that reason, they became a gift and a curse. You know, the gift was the talent that the world was about to see. But y'all was going to be entertained, bro. Believe you would have made sure you would have came to it. Anytime a Cold Premier show would have came, the talent was going to be there. Because you were going to get entertained because of the stuff we would do in our shows, it would be like when you watch a Bruce Lee movie, you know he's going to do something at some point, a move that's going to make you be like, ooh, are you cold? Like, we savor for moments like that. We always just going to surprise you in our show. And when people saw that at that particular event, you got to think, man, imagine one of the baddest girls in the room won you and everybody won her. She won you. One of the baddest girls in the room. Everybody won you. Everybody won you. All the hot girls, but you go with this other situation. Right over their heads and say, I'm going to go with this girl. You leave out there with that girl. Those other girls ain't going to applaud that one girl that got you. They're going to be pissed. They're not going to be like, oh, man, he's so happy. They're going to say it. But on the inside, they're going to be like, man, I sure I could have did so much with that group. I already had in mind I was going to hook them up with and who they can, you know, end up touring with and all this and that. But once we got this game, it was so 
so many people that had wanted their hands on. You got to think, we had one of the most powerful, powerful black men in the business that initially had a sign to him before one of them got us. And that was Clarence Avon. Have you heard of Clarence Avon? Yes, the black godfather, personally responsible for success, Taboo Records. And side note, he's from my neck of the woods, North Carolina, climate, right. the later migrated right. to New Jersey. Right. Everybody knows him. Everybody. Quincy, I'm talking everybody. You can't name one person that don't have respect for him. Well, he was the first person that signed up. We were signed to him for a year. And under his label, R.E.S. Records at the time, Guy Abrams and Ron Sweeney, who was also, at the time, Clarence was managing Janet Jackson, and Ron Sweeney was the attorney for EZE. When he passed, and you always hear about his attorney, that was our label head. And we didn't think they was going to let us go because they hadn't did anything with us for that year. We was like, man, we were signed to them. We were sitting back in Cincinnati waiting. It's like, we, y'all going to start recording soon? Y'all going to start recording soon? We took it upon ourselves to just say, we're going to go back out to L.A., man, to start doing shows and try to get picked up by somebody so we can get out this deal. We didn't know how serious it was. Like, when you sign a deal, you just don't go and do a show and be like, man, we're signed for y'all now. So when we did that, it actually happened. Before we can even sign with front of us, we had to get out of Ron Sweeney deal, Clarence Avon. So we called up there to him, and I personally did. And was like, we really like y'all, and we wanted to work with y'all, but, man, we've been wanting this all our life. If we don't get this opportunity right now, we may never get it. So we basically begging. And eventually, he was like, okay, y'all want to go? Y'all can go. So I think that a lot of that had a part of playing in our demise. We pissed off some really big wigs, I think. And we didn't know it. We was 18, 19 years old. We was just like, hey, we just want to perform. We don't care about money. We don't care about nothing. We just want to perform and go on tour. We just want to be on the tour bus together. And that was our goal, man. And I think once we turned down all those big wigs like that, see, if we'd have had a manager turning them down, it would have been a difference. But when you have right. a group member doing it, they're looking at you. They would have looked at the manager as the asshole or whoever you want to call it. And if they looked at the group like, well, y'all cool. It's just that y'all got a, a crazy manager that don't know what he's doing. You, right. But they blamed it on us. So that's how I think that happened. Right. So you felt like it wouldn't have been better if you would have had like a seasoned manager to kind of school y'all on how the business worked and that is built on relationships? Yeah, well, at the time, I, I would say this. I far into that. Because season or not, I think at the time, we were so young that even the manager that we had, he wasn't as seasoned as someone like Hiram Hicks, who was managing DVD at the time, and Boys and Men. But he still had smarts. He knew the game. He always read books and he knew the game. But we didn't really give him the chance I think he should have had. So you got to understand, our group had a power that tagged onto us that most groups didn't get the chance to do. Our label president would call us and talk with us personally. Most artists, when they sign, man, they try to call in and get somebody on the phone. It take them months, and you'd be surprised. And they'll have songs that are pretty good, but they can't even get in touch with a label head because they're always busy. Our manager, I mean, our label people calling us, you know, I was at home 9.30 at night. My mother, Tony, Cassandra on the phone, Cassandra Mills from Warner Brothers. I'm like, okay. You know, so we had, but that kind of, I think, played a downside to us, too, because it allowed the label to get in and play divide and conquer. Because at one point, they was telling us that they was pissed at our manager because actually he was fighting them about something for us. But because we were so giddy about the label, it made us look at the manager like, man, you got to sit out, you pissing off the label. You know, and that's not how you work it. We were supposed to keep our mouths closed, not talk to the label, let our manager do that, and just follow our manager's lead. And then if that, you know, opinions are suggested, we give it to him and let him present it instead of I'm talking to Cassandra telling her one thing and James talking to Cassandra it just seems like he, it made him look like he didn't have his group together to me but they talked right. to us 
So, like, we were, you know, hey, y'all, we feel, believe in y'all. You know, y'all smart, so y'all can talk to us. And at the end of the day, I think it was all game. Right. You mentioned um, Hiram Hicks. He was managing DVD. He was responsible for making Drew Hill known to the world. And I think you probably may remember this group. There were a girl group. There was Sasha Giant. Good to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good to go did uh, this song called Never Satisfied, I think. Yeah, yeah. I did, yeah, I did an interview with Natalie Fernie, and I was pretty much her like, man, you guys were so cold, but I think the thing with them was the 90s, it was so crowded as far as male and female groups that, yeah. you know, it's hard to get lost in the shuffle. Now, what was your thoughts when 98 Degrees exploded and by them being from Cincinnati? Well, I mean, for me, it was kind of like, I felt kind of like how Michael Bivens did about New Kids on the Block. It was a little bittersweet. I was like, okay, realistically, we were the first group out of Cincinnati of that kind, you know, boy band type that ever made appeared in a major film like that. We were signing Warner Brothers, you know. We had made a, some accomplishments, but I don't think we were acknowledged for that. And I feel like that a group like 98 Degrees, you know, I've always thought that they were, I mean, they sound good. But I think that for their whole concept and their show situation, it wasn't a threat to them. I mean, it wasn't a threat to Instinct. Instinct wasn't a threat to them. They were able to, you know, they made sure they take care of those guys. You know, they put them in a position where nothing's going to get in the way of the progress. They're going to still move on, new shows. They're going to finish their albums. They're going to get the top producers to get them a couple of big hits. They're going to get all of that. Like, we had to fight and fight and try to get baby and to try to get Teddy Rowley or to try to get Jimmy Jammer so they wouldn't do it, you know, for some reason. Right. And I'm like, they later we found out it probably had something to do with the budget, you know, and people, you know, get putting their hands in our budget and we not knowing until we later found out. So it's a lot of things that just started happening, man, that was like, man, can you believe this? This is going crazy right now. Like, it's supposed to be at a point where we, at this point, we walking up accepting awards. Here we are wondering if we still got the deal or not. So that uh that's kind of how that whole thing kind of transitioned into where our demise, or I should say our exit, was starting to come in. I mean, we still was doing some great things. Still had other labels wanting us, but I just think that a couple of mistakes started happening that shouldn't have happened, man. And it's a deep movie, man. It's a deep story, brother. Yeah, man, because I look at it as you guys were a combination of new edition, troops, Throwing some other groups in there, and you guys, we never got a chance to really see the damage you guys right. would have done, man. I mean, I was hyped looking for the album, looking for the single after the soundtrack. I mean, you guys had the look, the sound, the moves. Now, when it comes to choreography, was everybody involved with coming up with routines, or was it one designated person that was doing primarily the routines? Well, the thing about Paul Premier was we all played uh, our own natural roles that we fell into in the group, and nobody had a problem with no one playing their role. Contribute to helping each other too. So Payne and Chris, they were cold crushed. The stuff that they were doing, you know, they were doing the up rock, body rock stuff. They try to break dance. They they would, you know, the centipede. They would do stuff like that, and they would incorporate all that into our routine. But I would a lot of times come up with stuff that would kind of be smoothing it out because I was such a new addition fanatic. I would bring the new addition temptations vibe to it. You would see us break up between straight b boy Jabba walking and then come into. You know, the Temptations, the new edition, like, like we threw in everything and it was like a bubble of gumbo when it came to our choreography. I think 
we had this one show with this thing that we did at Johnny Jackson's party that, that almost knocked people out of their seat was we had this one thing and it was crazy we opened up with Janet Jackson's intro to her album and we had this one thing after the Janet Jackson piece that went dun 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 boom and then when the, the explosion went off and we was looking at the crowd and we were raising our hands up as the explosion kept going the rumble from the explosion lights didn't even turn off or nothing man but as soon as that beat hit like boom we turned around real fast one time when we turned around we jumped to the air side and landed on our feet our back was to the crowd the next beat we turned right around before it went boom boom by the time we came back around we had the humpy hump glasses on and the humpy hump music came on and we started doing that dance the crowd went crazy because they didn't even see when we put the glasses on and here we are a singing group and we turn around and come back with the glasses on and then the humpies come out and we bust that move and it was popular at the time oh uh, yeah we knew what to do to punch the crowd and that was things like that man that had them like man this ain't just a regular group these guys i mean we were like five james browns they called us five bobby browns on the news yeah they was like these guys these are five bobby browns they tried to put us on tour together and it fell through but bobby wanted it he wasn't scared oh, oh i know good Bobby doing his time? Nobody could Whoa. touch him dancing. Cold. They called us Five Bobby Browns. Like, our show would have been dynamic together. It would have been dynamic. I know. And then there's this video on YouTube floating around. Somebody had posted a video from the 88 Heartbreak Tour, Philadelphia Tour stop, where they had... Bobby and New Edition set. And I saw both of those sets. And just to think about the dancing, the routine, and how you can stay in sync and not lose a breath, that is a skill. Yeah, man. Trust me. And that's why New Edition mm -hmm. is still around to this day because New Edition is uh, one of those groups, man, like, day in and out, man. They're going to give you a show. That's what I liked about them because they, too, for that group that always had a surprise in their routine. They had the girls, man. That was just blowing me away how these little right. ghetto kids was getting bum-rushed by these girls like they were Beatles or something. That just took me out. And I saw that, I'm like, that's what I want to do in right. life right there. Yeah, but what really tripped me out when I was doing my research on the group, you were mentioning Shane, and when I started trying to put two and two together, I was like, Shane? It was like, Shane Sparks. I was like, yo, the choreographer and Jared from America's Best Dance Crew? I was like, yo, he was in the group? Yeah, that was that one of the original members. Shane, we all grew up in the same city. We were best friends. We still from best friends to this day, and that's why we were unique. I mean, you have to think. You know what Shane is described as he reads. I mean, he made all kinds of accomplishments. Won awards, had any nominations for choreography. He was a choreographer on So You Think You Can Dance. You Got Served. He did that movie. He got an award for that and did a number of other things, you know. So, yeah. And then his partner, Chris. Chris and Shane. Chris was just this nice. So, but Chris had a different vibe. Shane had like a, Shane was more smooth, wavy. Shane did his stuff like that. He was more sexy. Chris, Chris was a big, huge fan of Bruce Lee. So Chris was like, you look how graceful Bruce Lee moves. That was Chris. So when you put that together in a routine, Shane's choreography smooth, the sexiness that he had, and then Chris straight up hardcore, I'll kick your ear off and my leg will move so fast you won't even see it and the formation is so cold and perfected that it just looks like something out of a dream. Oh yeah, that was Cole Vermeer. And them two guys gave us that vibe. Mm -hmm. And now, once everything kind of, mm -hmm. you know, started to dwindle down, where did you end up doing? Like, did you still want to stay and pursue music in the business or are you like, man, this kind of stopped me and I just want to kind of just go back to doing my thing? Nah, hell yeah, I wanted to 
understand, but I felt like everything that I did in Cozumere, it was hard for me to see myself doing something different. That's what was bothering me. Like, I couldn't imagine myself, you know, doing, like, producing and just producing or managing groups now because I still had the energy and the youth in me to want to still be an artist. So, And I didn't just want to do a solo thing. I just wanted to do to be started. I wanted to finish that. I wanted Cold Premier. And uh, it wound up going a different way. But what's weird right now, man, is something is happening right now in the music situation where it's kind of bringing Cold Premier back in a sense, to the public. And it's weird because we never really got a chance to get to the public like we wanted to, but they kind of feel like we're being brought back. And, you know, people are interested in hearing about us now, and our name is surfacing. It might be something weird that can happen with this, man. I know John John them says, man, if y'all ever decide to get back, also the deal, Carlos and them guys, they was like, man, I'm down to put the tour together, and let's go rock the show. So who knows, man, hopefully if we can spread more information on us to make people say, man, I want to see this, because ironically, Jay, we still can get out. Like, when we got back together last year, to do our rap party for the documentary. Like, we were harmonizing and doing some of our old songs, and we was trying to see if we who can remember some of the routines. And ironically enough, man, we still move. Like, I mean, we ain't 19 and 25 no more, but, man, we still got that stuff. And Shane is still teaching choreography. Chris is still teaching choreography. So, you know... I'm working out right now as we talk. So we all still got the shape and we all still got the love for it. So we just got to have the platform. Yeah, you guys definitely have the platform now with the internet because, you know, Class Act was just recently put on Netflix and you have the internet. And then with the way everything is now, whereas you don't need a label anymore to put out music, you could directly go to the consumer yourself. Right. And that's something that we're already, like we've been talking about. This movie that we did a little tester last year in August released it and it sold out man and people was there it was just a rough cut i've had it but it was deep man people were standing up in that theater also we got a co-premiere day in cincinnati august 16th they gave us our own proclamation to the city so they found it that's what i mean it's like things are found like coming around i think our thing was man is when you doing this you got in your mind what success is and if you don't make it you feel like your story ain't worthy of telling because it's like i didn't get there anyway so who's going to be interested in hearing about a story of some guys who almost got there but in fact a lot of people are because a lot of people can relate to us more than they can of getting there because there's a lot of people that had great talent that had an avenue at one point but it somehow didn't work out and those stories are interesting to people because people want to know the famous question what happened and that's something i had to come to grips with and say you know what you don't have to be ashamed that it didn't happen because you didn't cause that to not happen all by yourself it was a whole conglomerate of things that happened and it just wasn't meant to be but created something that it will always last forever. You've been involved in things that will always be kind of documented forever. So you can feel happy about something that you did set out to meet a goal, and you might have shot for the stars and on the moon, but still, the moon ain't all easy to get to either. So now I feel blessed to have been able to experience what we experienced. Because there's a lot of stuff in between the story we're talking about that most people don't talk about in interviews, like, Waking up in the morning in the hotel room, going in and sneaking in the other guy's room and being in his closet. So, so when he finally go to sleep at night, you come out in his closet screaming out. He think he getting killed or something. I mean, we had a lot of great fun with each other. That was priceless. Yeah, man. I'm definitely looking forward to the documentary when it comes out. You said it'll be like around late summer release. Yeah, and I think instead of like now because of this whole social gathering thing, it's kind of fickle. Like I don't want to do something that a premiere in the movie theater where. 
and have every six seat open and all that other stuff. I'm like, if I'm going to do something now, what I decided to do was I'm actually going to uh, just once we're done with the DVDs, I'm in the midst of opening up a store in Cincinnati called The Quiet Giant. And it's going to basically have, you know, The Quiet Giant here. It's going to be a Cincinnati store, basically. It's going to be able to shop and buy things like that sense of history. And we're going to be able to come in there and look on the wall and see these photos of people that have made a huge impact in our city. People that are just regular people who are just heroes in the neighborhood for being whatever. It's going to be a nice uh, store, man, uh, museum style, but retail. And with that, I, I'm going to have the, um, the DVDs available in there and online. You know, i got to support Black Business, and i got to get my copy of that and definitely yes, show sir. support. And yes. I want to get you out of here on a fun question. By you being from Cincinnati, you know your Bengals had the number one pick, Joe Burrow, out of LSU, who's from Athens, which is not too far from Cincinnati. So how do you think your Bengals are going to do this season, and do you think that the snake-bitten Bengals will at least do something? I mean, you guys had heartbreak all over the years from losing in the Super Bowl to Achilles Smith being the bus to Carson Palmer getting injured, and I mean just bad luck after bad luck. So do you think that will finally turn around now that you got Burrow? What position is he playing? Quarterback. <laughs> Anything can help, especially in that position. That seems to be the position that we've needed to have to get us to advance beyond the first round of playoffs. I mean, you got to think about the 80s when we had Kenny Anderson and then later on the boomer of Tyson. Those guys were, to me, elite quarterbacks, and they got us to the Super Bowl. I mean, we didn't win, but get to the Super Bowl twice, definitely something that the Bengals have not done since. And both years we played the 49ers, if I can remember. And we lost them. They had Joe Montana. They had Bryce. You know, they had the factor. He definitely was a quarterback, especially if he's an elite guy. I haven't followed him, but now that you told me about it, I'm definitely going to look. And plus, with all this happening this year, it's been kind of hard. That sports on your mind, really, but I'm definitely going to look up this brother, man. He legit. I'm a sports kid. He's legit. He came out of nowhere last season, won the Heisman, and played himself to being the number one draft pick. So you guys got a good solid QB. Wow. Okay, what's up, man? I can't wait to see this dude. Is he a big guy? Is he a big quarterback? Um, yeah, he's a nice size quarterback. Um, they were making comparisons that hand size is a little bit small for NFL, but I think with the way everything is going now with the mobile QB, as long as you can get outside the pocket, you're good. So I think he's going to have a big impact in Cincinnati right away. I think the main thing for you all is just hoping that A.J. Green is healthy. Oh, yeah, big time. I do know, know A.J. is uh, somebody that we lean on. So, yeah, we definitely uh, is hopeful that A.J. comes back and healthy and get us past the first round, man. That's like yeah. all we need is a step. Get us past the first round of playoffs. We can lose in the second round. I'm cool with that because that lets me know that we're heading in the direction of a possible championship game again. So, yeah, man, sorry. that's good news to hear, man. I'm glad you uh, did share that with me. You know? Yeah, because yeah, at least with my squad, the Panthers is like going to be rebuilding your first because pretty much Rivera's gone to D.C., Cam is gone, Olsen is gone. So pretty much everybody from that era is gone. And we got Matt Rule out of Baylor as our coach. So I think it's going to be a stroller year, but, hey, you never know. Yeah, man, that is a good time. You never know. So um, if people want to get more information about Cole Premier and about the Quiet Giant, how can they find out more? Well, what they can do is they can basically go, I mean, you can do a lot of, I mean, a lot of Googling, man. I would say right now a lot of Googling because Cole doesn't have a particular website or anything like that. You know, you can go to to specifically see all of Cole Premier stuff. 
you know, on one page. But, however, you can see uh, our stuff and, like, you can go through Shane, you know, Google Shane Sparks, Google T-Rob, The Quiet Giant, Google Cole Premier, Chris Tyler, he's always doing stuff. You know, so a lot of us are, are still kind of active and doing a lot of stuff. And, and Google probably right now, YouTube would be the best way, man. We got pieces of our documentary out there where you can see clips. You can see clips of uh, the performance of Natalie Cole and Big Break and things like that. So definitely Googling people, know about them, because these guys, like their name, Cold Premier, Cold Blooded Tough. And you got any shout-outs you want to give before we conclude? Yeah, big time, man. First, I want to give a shout-out to, to you, Jay Mace, your listeners, man. And, and uh, anything I can continue to do to help, you know, build your platform and your force, man, I'm down. I want to give a shout-out definitely to Cold Premier, uh, Shane, Chris, Marcus, James, and uh, Don Juan, you know, for just years of just memories of, and great memories, man. Uh, all the guys that were down with us that, you know, we considered had a, a whole abundance of six members. And two of those, James Arsenal, our manager, James Brown, DJ, a.k.a. DJ Fresh, Taquan, Raw, Drac, Ron Knight, K. Riley, the whole Cincinnati, Al Caton, my brother Frank, my family, my dad, and just, you know, my kids and, you know, my sweetie. Just everybody out here who's supporting, you know, good music, who still the 90s music is still this stuff. And continue to support us because with that, now when you start getting into stuff like the black-owned businesses and supporting black-owned businesses, I think that you don't know if sometimes we consider, you know, artists who are independent, you know, who happen to be black artists or whatnot, it's considered a black independent business. So, when we put out our project and stuff like that, we just need y'all to support. You know, even if it don't have to be famous as Jay-Z, but, you know, y'all make that happen out there. Y'all the ones who take the artists to the next level. And by supporting, y'all can give the artists a chance to kind of have a platform to showcase their talent because you won't hear a lot of the great stuff out here if you never give a chance to the unpopular. And, you know, we a group that came that came from the 90s, but the great thing about Cold Premier, as you will hear in our documentaries, a lot of people say uh, that we were ahead of our time. So if we're ahead of our time, that means we're right on time. And age is nothing but a number, real talk. If you still got it, you can do it. And that's what we we out here like, hey, if y'all want it to happen, y'all can make it happen. We need y'all to come together and say, look, we didn't ever get a chance to see y'all. We're interested in y'all's story. We're interested in <laughs> what the, the big fuck was. Y'all can give it to us and we'll do what we need to do to have y'all get it. All right, and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, T-Rob from Cold Premier on Beyond the Album Cover with yours truly. T-Rob, thank you very much for doing this interview with me, my brother. No doubt, Jay Mason. Uh, yeah, anytime, man. Get at me, man. I'll be in charge. I'm going to definitely follow your show, man, and uh, support and just do my job, man. And in the meanwhile, y'all, you know, support us. Go out and check out our page, comment on them, share them. Make people aware of what we was and what we still are. And you know what I mean? Be out here ready to, to stay again. So get it out there for us, y'all, so we can make that happy.